haven't gone through quite a lot of contest preps, either for powerlifting or for bodybuilding. You feel like your identity is no longer with you when the contest is over. You had this thing, this achievement, this reason to do all these things you were doing. And once that's gone, everything that seemed to be very focused and goal-driven and goal-oriented now starts to feel kind of purposeless and dysfunctional. Everybody, welcome to another edition of the Mind Muscle Connection. I'm Joe Klimzeski here with a special guest, Dr. Jennifer Souders. And I don't know anybody that has more mind or muscle, maybe even more connection than Dr. Souders, who is a physician with three board uh, specialties, as well as a world record holding powerlifter, which I always love to say, because that's just really amazing, Jen. I, I, I thought of all the things that you could be number one at and what that means, but best in the world is, is something I'll just never get over with, with multiple of those titles. But uh, you and I were speaking about our shared goal to make sure that we're always helping clients and competitors and, and anybody in, in just unbelievably aggressive health transformation or even performance sport keep things in a sense of normalcy where you can have those high achievements as you have enjoyed and you have uh, uh, pursued with, with I'm sure all of your might, and yet still maintain a sense of perspective and normalcy and balance. And, and part of that's in our physique sport world is making that transition from pre-contest and I don't care if you just won a contest, the biggest goal title of your life, the next day when you wake up, your entire sense of identity and everything that you put all of your time and energy into is just instantly gone. And some of the simplest things that we relied on as structure for our day just evaporates overnight. And a lot of people have a hard time moving from what could be considered an obsessive behavior into this, just falling into an abyss without any structure. Uh, and I know that even in our own peaking process going into the, you know, that, that, that contest prep itself, or I should say the contest, you know, peak week in coming out the backside, you and I have discussed, maybe that needs to be thought of as, as a multi-week process, not just here's contest day, here's peak week go have a nice off season, but you know, how do we kind of enter into and, and psychologically put ourselves back on the right track? So uh, with, with that is just a simple framework. Uh, I know you have some specific points that you think should be addressed in terms of how do, how do we really engage in that and, and have healthy transitions? Yeah. And I think there's, there's several points. We won't get to them all today, but we'll get to some of them. And uh the viewers can stay tuned for some, you know, some future episodes that will cover some more. Um, full disclosure, my powerlifting records are historical. Uh, they certainly could be surpassed. I'm currently a a retired powerlifter at, at this particular juncture of my my life. So uh, I'm just one of those people with the uh, the honesty button. Uh, I, I, you know, it gets pushed. I have to I have to do it. So just full disclosure, folks. Anyway. Uh, On to the topic at hand, um, having gone through quite a lot of contest preps, either for powerlifting or for bodybuilding, it is true exactly what you say is you feel like your identity um, 
is no longer with you when the contest is over. You had you had this thing, this achievement, this 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 reason to do all these things you were doing. And once that's gone, uh, everything that seemed to be very focused and goal driven and goal oriented now starts to feel kind of purposeless and dysfunctional. So um, one of the two major outcomes that we see, and we'll talk about bodybuilding post-competition. Well, this is very true for people like me um, who in powerlifting, similar, if you're trying to make a weight class, you know, so if you're dieting down for a weight class, we are, I, I've done both. I've done bodybuilding and powerlifting. It's, it's the same feeling and there's the same risk of either continuing to restrict on the one hand post-contest um, in order to keep you closer to your competitive state. Uh, which is not healthy because being contest ready in bodybuilding and certainly in a lot of the lightweight class powerlifting or other strength sports is not necessarily healthy. Um, or then there's the binging and sort of the uncontrolled eating. And there's definitely some extremely powerful mental and hormonal things at play here. But one of the things that I think we also undergo, in addition to these changes in our dietary composition in order to go through a contest, is we have these changes in our social connections. So what do we do as bodybuilders before a contest? Are we out at Applebee's, you know, getting the, the unlimited apps? I don't think so. Um, you know, we socially restrict ourselves because it's uh, it's too difficult for us. It's so hard to maintain your focus and this pursuit and any slip up is is really huge. Um, it can make a big difference. You know what what the wrong amount of carbs, 20, 20 grams of sugary carbs at the wrong place and the wrong time in peak week um, can really cause a lot of havoc, right? So um, so we don't we we don't have good normal relationships even within our family sometimes we need to eat separate things so we're sitting down to dinner but you know your spouse and, and your kids or other family members or roommates or whatever you've got are eating one thing and then you're eating another like you're not you're you're sitting together but you're not sharing so one of the things that really is important afterwards is to integrate back into life and social eating either within the home or out at a restaurant is this huge hurdle for two reasons. One, you're either going to want to eat everything. You want all the foods or um, or you're going to be like, mm, I don't know. I'm not ready for that. Looks a little scary, you know, so it, it's hard. So you've got to have an ability to to feel safe. And there are a couple things that will let you feel safe um, in this environment because safety um, the cues of safety are the things that help to regulate our internal milieu, our hormones and our, you know, our, our upper sympathetic adrenaline based axis and our lower vagal based axis. So it helps to maintain, you know, the balance when those things are off balance after a contest too, we've been super amped up. And then there's this big letdown. Um, and when we get with the big letdown, you know, the vagal side may take over. That's the rest and digest, uh, breed and feed. So, um, you're, at, you're at risk going out to a restaurant with having, um, a really egregious meal, which could feel good, but 
it might not be the right thing for your body. Your, your body may not be able to handle that much as your brain really wants to. Um, on the other hand, you may be fighting with um, not wanting to let loose a little bit. And so your body is ready and willing for more um, and deserves it. But now your mind is, is your battleground. So among those two possibilities, Joe, do you see both of them fairly equally? Well, I, I think it's amazing first that you're pulling this into the, the biological sphere uh, because most people feel like, well, this is this is a mindset type thing. And, you know, there there are true physical conditioning components to this. And you could still be in a pretty metabolically suppressed place. And as you're describing those different thought processes or decision points of like, maybe I'm going to really overeat or I'm not going to eat at all. I'm going to stay in that restricted mode. I almost hear some of your addiction medicine specialists coming out in terms of, you know, there, there needs to be some kind of reconditioning process, you know, something that's very intentional um, in, you know, from a physical perspective, that's why the whole metabolic building pre-contest or reverse dieting post-contest concepts were created um, and it, it makes me wonder, I'll kind of throw this back at you because I, I do see both as you asked, um, do you think it would be helpful to, to discuss it in those terms with clients? Like, I, I just love the fact that you said, you use the phrase social reintegration, like, you know, you've been socially isolated and really working hard on this project, which is great. Uh, but it's not just, okay, the next week, everything's back to normal, um, I'm guessing different personality types feel this impact differently. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious if you would say, you know, we really need to consider these types of steps because of the psychological conditioning and, and may maybe behavioral issues that, that some people could experience, Jen. Yeah. And that's a great point. Um, I love that you brought that up in addiction medicine. Um, when we are trying to help users in recovery, we see a couple different things that there are cues and triggers for using. So certain people, the folks you always hang out and party with. And if that's your only support group and your support network, then you're going to isolate. And if you isolate, you don't have some of those cues to use, but then you also don't have support either for healthy cues. Um, the second thing is um, situational. So if you have always gone out and partied at Applebee's. Let's just use that. Gosh, poor Applebee's. They're going to be so mad at me. Um, I love Applebee's. Sponsor of the show. Qualifier. I love that place. Yeah. You know, if, if I want, if I want it, you know, it's, it's right there. Um, but anyway, you know, if, if that's been your, your place, your party place, um, it can be really difficult to maybe control yourself there. And, um, you know, we, we hear all the time about users in the rehabilitation, you know, substance rehabilitation, substance treatment um, area that like they have to throw out that coffee table, the coffee table that they always sat at when they did, you know, when they when they did their fix um, then, and things like that so that they have to not have those cues. So I think we have to look at two different areas. One is situation and one is people. So if you've been with your family and your family has been really supportive of you, even if they've questioned your sanity, even if they've questioned whether you really ought to be doing this, even if they've said, gosh, you know, you don't look great, you know, because they all think we look like we're at, 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 on the 
on the verge of a concentration camp victim at the end on our show. And metabolically, we kind of are. Um, and there's truth to that. You know, so they're worried about us. Right. They want to feed us. Um, and so on the one hand, they've been our safety and our support and they understand and love us and they've hung with us. Um, so I think what we need to do is is to is to um, let them know that we need them now as much, if not more than ever, as we start to come out of this. And it's not going to be just a where we just cut it off. We're going to because our bodies have been through a lot. The best way to explain it to your family and your close friends um, is that, you know, my body has gone through a lot and it will, you know, it just won't react right. I've got to retrain it um, to eat. I've got to retrain it and get, be patient and give it chance to build itself up. And if I don't, it could make me feel sick. Now, whether or not that's true is, is a factor for individual people, but it's helpful to express it that way. So that the people who love and support you, you're giving them a role you're actually putting your care into their hands to say, okay, look, we're going to help you to, you know, enjoy this meal out, but we're going to, we're also going to keep our eye out to help you. If we think maybe, you know, you might be kind of overdoing it a little, is it okay if we say that? And I think you should make it very clear to them how you might want to receive those cues and what might be helpful to you. Um, generally people want to help you. The people that love you want the best for you. Um, so that's that's the people. And then the situation, if you're going to go to a familiar place, um, you know, like like your favorite spot that you haven't been able to go to in a year or something because of your prep, you you might want to sit at home and maybe look at the menu online and sort of identify something um, and stick to that plan before you go there. And we often do this when, even when we're in contest or early in contest prep and stuff. And so we should have these skills um, we should have these skills where where we, if we are going to have um, a relaxed feed day, that we should be able to go and and um, investigate what the best options might be for us, and make a plan and stick to it. And then, you know, if you've got receptive, supportive friends or family members, tell them, you know, tell them what the what your plan is, um, and just say this is what I'm planning to do and. You know, we won't have to have these discussions long, but, you know, for the next month or so, this is going to be a, a transition. So if I can just like say what uh, what I did after my last bodybuilding contest, the way this played out, which worked really well was um, first thing I did was I got out of Dodge. I flew to the other coast and uh, went and stayed with my mom. So uh, that was good because I had a chance to see family. I was I was around supportive people, but I also had a change of scene. So identity was kind of cut in terms of I'm not a competitor now. Um, now I'm a family member. So I went went away. Um, and then I went back to one of my favorite restaurants in Philly. And, um, you know, I planned I planned the meal ahead of time. And I stuck with it. And it wasn't exactly what I wanted, of course. Um, so I really wanted this incredible pizza burger that they had, which is, but you know, it was like, they it was too much grease. Once you get through the scariness, it's like the first dive off the high dive board. Um, once you realize it's okay, I can do this. You gain a lot of confidence, just like any new skill helps you move forward. There, there are a couple of incredible things that 
I see a lot more conversation centered around in, in the recent years, I think because of our emphasis, I mean, just, just with the internet, just with podcasts and so forth, and the ability to do this. So many people are taking cognitive behavioral therapy and mindset and really channeling it into the applications of, of real practice when it comes to, as you said, those relational components, asking your family, asking your friends, giving them a role in your support. I, I can't say Jen, in, in the, Previous to the last five or so years, I would have ever even considered that, let alone have done it myself to sit down and have a conversation with somebody. It seems so selfish to me, just the way I'm wired, but to say, here's what I need you to know. Here's what I'm going through. Here's, here's a way that you could help me. It'd be very meaningful to me. And to have that reciprocal kind of relationship, whether it's with your spouse, your partner, any family members, friends, like, wow, I, it, first of all, it's so obvious and it, it changes the entire ball game in a relationship instead of just frustration under the surface and potential resentment and seething without anything ever being spoken. It's I mean, for eons, we've talked about the importance of communication, but I'm I'm quite literally seeing it played out in recent years in the first time in ways that I think people can do and understand because experts, quote unquote, are putting legs to it and showing templates for conversations as you just did. Uh, but the other side of that, because that takes that awareness and that conditioning in a relational sense, is that same exact protocol with your body and your mind in terms of your eating behaviors. Uh, and and I'm going to drill down just a little bit deeper on that concept that you talked about planning, like maybe just looking at a menu before you go to the restaurant. I have seen unbelievable success in clients who will take conscientiousness to that level. Like, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my first evening after the contest. Here's what I do the next morning. Here's this. And they, they literally follow that. And it's with some moderation. So they don't just open the floodgates to, binge eating and all that physical instability. Cause you very rightly said you can just not just feel sick. Like you can create so much weight regain as a rebound and, and blood glucose instability and so forth. That's, that is certainly anything but healthy for you mentally or physically. So, you know, those are the two things that I picked out in your, your last, um, you know, bit of, bit of information that I think are just so, so crucial. Yeah. And I think we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about the binging restriction aspects and also how, how coaches can work with clients in that regard, because those are, those are behaviors that are going to be hidden from the family. So that's another conversation that will be really a good one to delve in a little deeper on the other side of this issue. There you go. We will have a part two, which I am very, very much welcome in any time with you, Jen. So appreciate your time and input on this, your expertise, everything that you- a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, the, the, the entire industry and for our, our listeners. And we will see all of you guys next time in the Mind Muscle Connection.